Good morning. I want to share three things basically this morning. I have a perspective I want to share with you. I had a dream I want to tell you about, and then I'll have a little reflection on this gospel piece. First, perspective. So a number of years ago, about four years ago, I went to see my spiritual director. I was living in New York City. He was a retired Jesuit priest, and I was trying to sort through What's next in my own, you know, I've always have wanted to be a growing person. So a few years back, I took on the project of uh, earning a PhD in theology <laughs> in my 60s. So I'm going, okay. So I'm explaining to him what I was feeling about it, what I was hoping to do with it, what it might, you know, kind of the ways it might position me to do some stuff. And so as I'm chatting about it, trying to discern, you know, is this really, do I want to spend this much time on this? Um, at one point he stopped me, he said, you know, Ed, when I hear you talking, he said, sometimes I think that you think you're an adult. <laughs> Which I kind of looked at him quizzically and I said, well, I am an adult. He said, you're not an adult. He said, adults have like 30, 40 years plus arc into their future, relationships, you know, career, building. He said, you don't have that. So I said, well, well, what am I? He said, you're an elder. I said, well, what does an elder do? He said, whatever the hell he wants to do. <laughs> I cannot tell you what joy that brought my soul. <laughs> so, <laughs> so where that impacts is the fact that, you know, I used to preach twice a day for, or twice a week for decades, and now I don't preach all that much, and I'm not all that sad about it. But when I do and I approach it, I approach it much more openly and warmly and trying to listen to the Spirit than I do the way that if I were younger, I would do it. We use the lectionary. Let me throw the, the screen from the lectionary that if you looked it up. Every week we're presented with all of these texts. You can see for today, it was a reading from 1 Samuel 15, Psalm 20, Ezekiel 17, Psalm 92, 2 Corinthians 5, Mark 4. So what happens is all of our clergy go through these texts. In fact, Father Preston, who we're honored to have with us this morning, hello, Father Preston. He's going to lead us at the table, which we're delighted to have him do. He puts together lots of research. Every Tuesday morning, he meets with Dosa clergy and others and walks through these texts. Talks about their, uh, their orientation of the text, the history of the text, um, how they might interact with each other, different people share what they're feeling about the text. And then all of those clergy take that stuff as fodder into prayer and begin to work all of that through to come up with what we are served every Sunday morning here. And the priests that we have do great, a great job at that, serving us up fresh, hot meals. So it's a lot of work. You may ask, well, Bishop, did you do that much work for us this morning? I did some. <laughs> Why not more? Because I didn't really want to. <laughs> I'm an elder. <laughs> I wanted to just enjoy you and just be with you. So I did some work. I'm just encouraging you to lower your expectations and be happy that God sends us young priests to do the real work of this stuff. Amen? And appreciate their labor. Thank you. <laughs> All right, that's, that's my first. It's just a perspective I just wanted to give you before I start. Uh, the second thing I want to tell you about is a dream I had. 
I don't get a lot of dreams that I think have the divine kiss in them, but every once in a while I do, and I pray for dreams to come. Why is that? You remember the text from Acts 2. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all my people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. They'll have, they'll have anointed speech. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. <laughs> I, I, I pray for dreams. Dreams are are really important. I mean, they're not as, as uh, burdensome as visions. When you get a vision, that usually requires a lot of work. Do you have a vision? Yeah, you got to run at it and work at it. Dreams are more like they come into your life and you go, that's a great dream. You sort of navigate toward them, but if they never happen, it's just, it was a dream. <laughs> no big deal, but they're still from God. So I had this dream. And in the dream, I, it was about truth, is what the dream ended up being about. And I had just uh, witnessed a, uh, a, a, a job site where this huge earth-moving machine was digging into the ground, breaking rock, bre- you know, just crushing what it was moving into. So it's huge, <laughs> digging up stuff and, doing, and, and, and lifting it out of the way. So that was, it was a pretty striking look if you've ever gotten close to that kind of machinery. It's pretty, pretty striking. So in the dream, I see this huge airplane, like a 737 or something, being moved into a hangar. And as it was moving into the hangar, somehow the doors on this huge hangar were coming with these huge engines, and it was going to hit the back end of the airplane. So in the dream, I'm looking and saying, oh, no, 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 they're going to hit that. And maybe dent it. You know, if you do anything to a plane, they got to take it out of surface and go through all this testing. So it's a big deal. So as this, as this plane, as this hangar door start coming with all of its power coming against that plane, as soon as it encountered it, just the slightest, it stopped. The moment that the doors experienced resistance, it stopped. And there was no damage done to the plane. And I heard as I'm waking up the Holy Spirit in me saying, the power of truth can destroy. It can break through dirt, break up rock, but that's not how we should handle truth. Instead, truth in our lives should be that once we are moving and we're giving it and we're purveyors of truth and we're sharing it, if we encounter resistance, we should stop. And that's where mercy kicks in. Remember, mercy and truth meet together in Jesus Christ. Somehow, all of you know, we live in a culture right now that is so oriented to getting it right. But what if it's more important that we handle truth in a way that God intended instead of a way that conquers, destroys, or tries to take over, or changes everyone that we encounter? What if we're not supposed to be machinery that just scratches and digs at people's lives, our families, our friends? What if we, when we share what we share, it doesn't mean we don't believe, don't deny it, but we share it until we sense resistance, and once we do, we just be merciful about it and just say, it's cool. I still love you. I'm still for you. When I was 24 years old, I was at Bible school, and this was a vision. And in the vision, I... Uh, it was angels flying around in this crazy vision. And um, we were in a prayer thing. And I heard the Holy Spirit. We were ready to go to Wisconsin. It was the first church that I was to pastor. 
And, uh, and I was so excited, and I was at Bible school, and man, I was taking notes fiercely in Bible school because I was going to be able to tell everyone the truth and straighten out their lives, right? And while I was there getting all that down, I'm, it's just, just months before we took off, and in that vision, the Lord, or one of the angels spoke to me, <laughs> a vision, angel spoke to me and said, you know, they're not going to come to your church because you preach the truth which was a shock to me because that's what I was setting it all up on. But the, this, this voice said, they will come because you love them. Very profound. What if, what if our journey with truth is always secondary to our journey of love? Okay, that's the dream. My third thing I want to tell you is this reflection of the gospel. There's much that could be said about this text, and if we were exegeting it appropriately, there's a number of ways that I think Father Preston would prefer that we approach this. <laughs> appropriately so, or, or Father Paul or Dr. Green. And we would quote uh, friend. your friend, <laughs> Rowan Williams, if we were doing this. But the point is, what I want to limit my comments to about this is one single idea. That's the topic of God and seeds. Seeds are about predicting the future. The way somehow the creator has given us some control over our lives is that he puts potential into seed. And when we embrace seeds, somehow they change the future of what is, or the present. It changes the present into a different future. That's why we, uh, the seeds are described in sacred texts as things like the promises of God. So here we encounter promises of God about our lives. And if we dare to embrace them and hold on to them, the promise is something will happen. The scripture actually says in Isaiah that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, God's ways are not our ways, but that he sends his word and that his word would be like seed and that he would send it to the earth and cause it to sprout and to bring change in the world. In other words, Things can happen that aren't currently happening and we have something to do with it. Not everything that is happening in your life right now has to stay that way. The creator, the creator God's self actually is inviting you and I to look at our lives and to be able to change what is. That's why he calls us to actions of love or kindness, calls us into being peacemakers, which means there's struggles that can be alleviate, alleviated. Or he calls us to have a more disciplined mind, which I want to come back to in a moment, that somehow our lives can be different than they are, or calls us to work so that what is can begin to be transformed. The promise of control from God with seed is never complete control. <laughs> Don't misunderstand that. Some things will never change, right? I mean, I would love to be the next quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, but that ain't gonna happen. My agent told me it isn't going to happen. And we remember the, the father, some of the things they would say about what happened. Sometimes we don't know why things happen. We don't know why some people just have grace on their lives, have great success, and we don't have that kind of grace. There's a story about St. Anthony, and he's our patron saint in the diocese and in the order of St. Anthony, and this story goes like this. Uh, Abba Anthony was thinking about what, would ha what happens to other people, and so he asked God, Lord, 
How is it that some die when they are young, while others drag on to extreme age? Why are there those who are poor and those who are rich? Why do wicked men prosper? And why are the just in need? Then he heard a voice answering him, Anthony, keep your attention on yourself. These things are in God, and it is not your, to your advantage to know anything about them. So what is that saying? Just some stuff ain't your business. And there's some stuff happening in your life you're never gonna change. You'd like to be more this, you'd like to be more that, and you're really not gonna be able to change them. So I'm not suggesting to you when God gives us seed that we are sovereigns in our lives. That's not true. Many things are out of our control. Our birth, the time of our birth, the place in which we were born, uh, the, the, the kind of level of gifts and abilities that we have, those are things that are given to us. Our family of origin, that's stuff we can't change. But on the other hand, not everything that happens now in your life has to continue happening. There are things that can change. The creator is not doing everything that happens in your life. There are other forces responsible for some of the ways that your life sucks, right? Sometimes it's other people. Sometimes it's, it's the culture we live in or sometimes it's, it's um, you know, the, the demonic that can influence. A lot of times it's just you <laughs> and me, right? It's what we do in our lives that all of a sudden things are like, oh, this ain't good. This isn't a good place to be. Now, it's important to understand that, that, there are th that God doesn't do everything because some people think that whatever is to be will just be. That the reason everything's happening in your life right now is because God willed it, even the bad stuff. And that somehow there's some purpose in it, right? Everything has a reason. What if that's not true? What if not everything has to be the way that it is? I mean, on that view, uh, we have nothing to do with the events of our lives. On that view, the future is God's sphere and not ours in any way. And even our praying on that view is more of an aside because God will do what God will do anyway. Oh, the reason that we're praying is that we're just, we're just in agreement with God's sovereignty and we just are surrendering to God's sovereignty. There are people that think this. It's problematic thinking. Reminds me of this silly old story about uh, these two brothers that grew up on this family farm, Bill, who was the eldest, and Tom, who was the younger. And uh, as they're growing up, it seemed that everything Bill touched went to dust. He just kind of goofed around in school, always was getting in trouble. You know, he went to college, dropped out of college, got married, the marriage ended up in disaster in just a few months. And just his life, every time he tried to do stuff, it would just sort of fall apart. Now, on the other hand, Tom, I mean, everybody loved Tom. He went through college, you know, at, with great uh, success. He's coming back. He studied uh, agriculture, came back, and was just so amazing on the, on the family farm. He, he has gotten married, had lots of kids. His parents loved him. Well, as they got older, the parents died. The two of them are still running the farm, and always Bill was messing up, and Tom was winning. And one day, Bill is on the tractor, and as he's driving out and plowing the grounds, uh, the tractor breaks down, he gets it fixed again, and as he continues to do it, and as he's driving, plowing the fields, this storm came in very quickly. This lightning bolt shoots out of the skies, hits the tractor, knocks off a wheel, and the tractor falls on Bill. He gets impaled. 
He's dying. He knows he's dying. And in his last breath, he goes, God, why? Why is everything I'm touching a disaster? Why is, 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 is all this stuff falling apart every time I get involved? And why is, why is Tom so blessed and everything he touched just works so well? This voice comes out of heaven. I don't know, Bill. Just something about you that ticks me off. See, <laughs> it's, a, it's a crazy story, but you know, how many of you know, of people you know think like that? How many of us think like that? That we're having what we're having because somehow God just doesn't love us. We've done something that has pushed us out of the great realm of favor. What if that's not true? See, it's, from a biblical standpoint, it's not crazy to suggest that human beings can participate in the making of history, in their history, in creating the future. And my point is, is that you get to participate in the future on some level. You get to predict your future on some level. Now, if God wasn't doing that, he, he would have never given us this idea of seed. The creator creating not just end results, but seed. That you could, as a farmer of, a, of ground, predict what's gonna happen there. And as a person who's in charge of your life, you can actually predict where your life is going. Now, I want to focus on just one aspect of that seed. I want to talk about your thoughts for just a moment. This is a small part of this overall idea, but it's, it's all the time we have. Your life and my life will never rise above our capacity to discipline our thought life. Your thoughts, what you think when your mind, when you're sitting there and your mind is drifting in the night, in the morning, where do you go? What do you, what do, you do when your mind just sort of daydreams? Where are you going? I'm suggesting to you that it matters where you're going. And that if you're not careful, what, what you'll have is like a chicken brain where you just wander and you just cluck. You just wander around your day and wander around your night and just, just kind of wander. And whatever happens around, that's what you think about. And <laughs> your mind, if you do that, will be undisciplined and open to anything, which is the complete breeding ground for worry and fear and offense and lust and jealousy and all kinds of negative things, whatever. Because you're open. The problem is a disciplined, intentional mind is what's critical to have a happy and peaceful life. If you don't learn to discipline your mind, you'll never be happy. Now notice I didn't say that, that we're talking about what circumstantially is happening in your life. I don't care what it is that's happening in your life circumstantially. Wonderful things or horrible things. The disciplined mind can keep you in peace. This is the point of Paul when he writes in Philippians 4. He says, okay, guys, let's talk about what you think about. Don't be a chicken. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
He's telling us we get to choose what we think about. Now, this is a shocking text. I remember when I first saw this in my 20s, I don't know what I was, I always thought that I was a thought. I always thought that I was a mind. And this text is claiming, no, no, you're not a mind, you have a mind. Not everything you think is you. If you're thinking about, you know, if I'm thinking angry thoughts, I'm an angry person. If I'm thinking hurtful thoughts, I'm a hurtful person. If I'm thinking unpeaceful, I'm an unpeaceful person. No. These thoughts come at us, but they don't constitute us. We're more than just a mind. We actually have a mind. All of us have dark thoughts come at us, worrisome thoughts come at us, hateful thoughts come at us, oppressive thoughts come at us, but they come at us. They come by us somehow. We, 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 they, we get hit by them. Not unlike, some of you won't remember this, but you will if you take a film class. Uh, you remember the Hitchcock movie, The Birds? Those birds, they were after people. They're after your sight. They're after to hurt you. And there are thoughts in the world that come at you. It actually says that the demonic works a lot in the realm of thoughts that there are strongholds in every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is one of the ways in which Satan roams, the whoever, whatever, how that works, roams around lives of people, is to give you thoughts. And the problem is, if you think everything you think is you, you won't discern it. Wait a minute, I don't have, you see, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, <laughs> but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. You're gonna have jealous thoughts. You're gonna have envious thoughts. You're gonna have hateful thoughts. All of that's real because we live in a world where all those birds fly. But what are you letting nest? What are you letting stay? Paul claims, is it true? If it's not, get rid of it. Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? You get to pick. And if you pick this way, your life is different. Your level of peace is different. In fact, he says in this text that the result of this kind of choosing of your thinking is the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard you, your heart, and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Think of it. You can have a guarded life that not everything that happens has to continue to happen in your, in your life. Getting control of your mind will increase the capacity you have to trust, the capacity you have to have emotions that aren't colored with evil, that you can experience energy, a different kind of energy, that when you walk in a room, there's some sense of brightness and energy about you instead of creepiness, sadness, where you're, you're, you're a life sucker instead of a life giver. Now, to get control of your mind, this is one of the reasons the Bible encourages things like prayer. Prayer can help you. I love praying the daily office. Some of you know, have seen that around here. And as people, sometimes people say, it's so boring. That's precisely the point. I love making my mind focus on something that's boring. Because my mind wants to just have fun. You know, I want to chicken around. But when you focus your mind, you think about something, you make yourself, sure it'll be agony, but it'll bring blessing. That's why we, we meditate sometimes. Meditation helps to firm up the thinking. 
Uh, memorizing and speaking scripture helps. Why? Because you're trying to get control of your chicken head. And less amusement helps. I mean, I love amusement as much as anybody. I mean, I love shows. Uh, you know, I'm, I can't wait to see what's happening next on, uh, what's the show I like? Um, the, wait a minute. The one where the religious people rule and it's horrible. Handmaids, handmaidens, handmaids, handmaids. So good, bad for you, but good. So I'm, I'm as amusement oriented as anybody is, but, but I also muse. Muse means to think, to ponder, to, to realize if this continues, what will it end up being in 50 years? You know, it's funny, you may think, oh, it's amusement to go out as a high school kid and, and drink or a college kid and get drunk and every weekend get drunk. Well, that, it, it might be funny when you're telling those stories, but when you're 50 and you're still doing that, it ain't funny. It's sad. Sometimes musing is, what will happen if I continue thinking this way and doing these things? What will happen? That's musing, right? If you embrace peaceful and joyful and loving and pleasant thoughts, you will be a peaceful, joyful, loving, pleasant person with a peaceful, joyful, loving, pleasant life. <laughs> there may be a lot of socks still hanging around and things may not always be beautiful, but it, that ugly stuff won't define you. See, knowing the law of seed that this offer is from the creator for us to participate in the creation of a life that we live is huge. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Listen to this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person sows, reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please his flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. You will reap destruction if you don't attend to your life. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap the life of eternity, here. Man, that's an upgrade for us. It, it, it's about what we sow to. Therefore, as we have the opportunity to do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, says, don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So, this morning, I just want to urge you to commit to creating a peaceful, loving, joyful mind. You will fail as you move toward that, but you will learn from your failure and you will grow. If your thoughts are like seeds, they will bring forth stuff. If you don't work on your thoughts, you're going to surrender the power and forces that God never designed to control your life. Here's the bad news, though. Changing your thinking is far from easy, especially if you're thinking the way that you think most of your life, right? And what ends up happening in our minds, I mean, if I asked you right now, hey, let's everybody get up and walk around the room, most of you would say, oh, that's no problem. You'd walk around the room. You know why you don't think it's a problem? Because you've been walking for as long as you remember. It's easy. It's easy to imagine. It's easy to think because you've done it. But if I said, let's all get up and fly around the room this morning, you'd all sit there and think the man's an idiot. 
because you, you know no one can fly. You've never flown. That's why you believe that. Now, it's, it is impossible. But you know, the reason you think it's impossible is because you never have done it. If we're not careful, a lot of our thoughts are framed by that simple idea. It's never happened. It never will. It's never happened in my life. It never will. And so I've never had good friends. I never will. I can't fly. My faith has always been sketchy. I've never been able to fly. This marriage I'm in won't work for me. It never has. It's just not going to fly. But the promise of seed is that sometimes you can fly. Sometimes what seems to be impossible to you becomes possible. You don't know. I mean, there's a tension here because you don't know yet. That's why you got to wrestle with it and discern it and pray into it and try stuff and challenge yourself. But don't settle. And when you start to sow seeds, you got to understand, you got to keep sowing. It takes so much persistence because a lot of this isn't done overnight. Most of us, we overestimate a day of faith, of faithfulness, and underestimate a life of faithfulness. We overestimate a day of faithfulness. I just get it right today. I want to get right with God. We overestimate that. Nothing changes. But we underestimate the consistent yes that we build. You know, we bump around, but we still want to say yes. Over time, your life changes. Woo! <laughs> what if this is true? What if? You can have a better life, better friendships, better ways of engaging, more peacefulness in the midst of struggle by just dealing with this brain. Let me give you this as I'm closing here. This is a challenge um, to be persistent when you're a seed sower because of the reality it doesn't change easy. Life doesn't. This is from Dr. Keith Bell. He wrote, quote, Persistence, go for it. If you don't get it, give it another go. If that doesn't work, go again. If that still doesn't work, do it again. Only with better preparation, more intensity, and greater passion. If that doesn't work, do it again, only better. If that doesn't work, find another way. Stay with it, pound away at it, wear it down. Discover how to do it, but get it done. See, there's some way in which the message of Jesus about faithfulness is simply about leaning into ways that are right and pure and just. And somehow as we do that, it changes who we are as people. I don't know that it always changes our circumstances. I mean, sometimes it does. I mean, you might get better jobs. You know, if you're embracing the seed of a promise of healing, you might see your body get better, but you might die terminally. I mean, it doesn't, we're not in control of all of that stuff. But one thing is sure, it makes you the kind of person that people want to be around. You just, you, Jesus said, when you live a certain way, you become the salt of the earth. You know what salt does? It, in the ancient world, more so than now, it prevented rot. And, and it also made things taste better. How many of you like salt on your eggs? just makes it tastier. Salt makes things tastier. So think about that. When you walk into your job or you walk into a relationship and friendship or a marriage, and, and wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody just when you walked in went, 
just tastes better when she's here. Right? And it's not so rotten. Right? Uh, and you're the light of the world. Things just lighten up when he comes around. It's like it's not as dark. See, we're not talking about circumstances here. We're talking about an inner kind of peace and resolve and power that you will carry that will bring life to everyone around you. And most of it has to do with the seeds of your thinking. What do you think? Now, the good news is we're coming to the table and at the table is where we hear the story that frames our lives. It's the story of God coming in human form. And when God comes in human form, he begins to rip away the harvests of our stupidity, the seeds of our corruption. Somehow Jesus becoming human raises the level of what humanity is from what it was. It like aborts the power of the seeds that we've done that were evil seeds. Jesus, when he absorbs our sin, he makes it so that sin doesn't have to have the harvest of destruction that it had because we're forgiven and somehow it's made right. Every week when we come to this table, I love the news that all your bad seeds from this, this past week can be destroyed. The impact of them can go away and we can start fresh. It's like those, those little eraser slates, you know, where you're drawing on it, the little knobs. You're drawing on the eraser slate and you mess up. You, how, do you, how do you fix that? And then you go again. Somehow the table, and we start again. We start fresh. We start new. And life can get better. This is the great equalizer, this moment of coming to Jesus. So let's come.